Welcome to Fashion Forum, a podcast brought to you by the British Fashion Council. I'm Caroline Rush, Chief Executive. Today we bring you a series of conversations highlighting the relationship between the creative industries, celebrating not only fashion designers, but also the broader creative community, all of whom play a vital role in our industry's culture and reputation, promoting British creativity on a global scale. Good afternoon and welcome to a series of podcasts for the British Fashion Council. Um, I'm Gianluca Longo, uh, style editor of British Vogue magazine, um, and I'm here today with the lovely Supriya Lele and Rosh Matani of Alighieri Jewelry. And we're going to explore um, some wonderful topics about their business and uh, their commitment uh, on the community uh, and people. So welcome, Supriya and Rosh. Supriya, um, you and uh, uh, Rosh actually have got very similar stories, but I'd love uh, you to introduce yourself um, as, you know, as fashion designers and uh, what you do and what you've been doing so far. Of course. Um, so I'm a women's wear designer. Um, I started my label in 2017 um, after I was selected um, by Fashion East to showcase at London Fashion Week. Um, and I'd just finished my master's then at the Royal College of Art. Um, and since then, I've been um, part of the BFC's New Gen initiative and um, also part of the LVMH Prize of this year. So it's been an amazing journey so far. But yeah, so I do women's wear and my work focuses a lot on kind of reinterpretation of my heritage, which is Indian. Um, and my upbringing, which I was born and brought up here in the UK. So it's a sort of look on identity. And Rosh, why uh, you created this jewellery called Alighieri? I mean, I know the whole story, but I love uh, everyone to hear about it. It's so interesting. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, um, I studied French and Italian at university and became really quite obsessed with Dante Alighieri, the Italian poet. Um, who wrote the Divine Comedy, um, Inferno, Purgatorio and Paradiso. Um, and his story was very much one of a man being lost in a dark wood and trying to find his way through and find light. And it's something I really related to, especially after graduating from university. I was in um, quite a dark place in my life. And um, that's when I started sort of creating one piece of jewellery for each one of Dante's poems as a way to... Um, infuse each object with its own story and create it for the next person to carry it on their journey and infuse it with their own narrative. But um, much like Supriya, I kind of, my, my grandparents um, grew up in India, my parents grew up in Africa, so I spent the early part of my childhood in Zambia till I was seven or eight and then moved to London. So I guess you could say as well, my work is very much a, an exploration into kind of finding an identity that makes sense in the midst of lots of different um, points of view and references. How has been the journey from when you started, Supriya? Before March, for example, from 2017, when you started mm. to, to March, I mean, you um, set up, you, you know, of course, you know, winning, you know, being part of the LBMH prize. Yeah. Um, uh, how, was, how, how did you structure your fashion line? Yeah, so everything I do is based here in the UK. So from, you know, obviously from designing to sampling to production at the moment, we, we do everything here. When I first started out, 
I really didn't know. Um, you know, I went to art school for seven years. I had no clue about business um, and I'm still finding my feet in that respect. But being with Fashion East was very helpful because Lulu and her team are very good at incubation. So, um, and then obviously through New Gen and the BFC, I've been able to receive a lot of mentoring there. But really, I started off very slowly and I just things have happened in quite an organic way, which I think has been the best way for me to learn. But it started off just me in a little studio and I would design a collection, get the fabrics. And then when we sold the collection, I tried to start working it out. And it was all very, very small and very, very tight. And now we're still small, but, you know, there's a lot more moving parts. But it's been a kind of slow and steady um, progression, which is great for me because I'm still learning every day. Yeah, but I mean, how was how was the reaction when you got the first order from you know from your? I, very mixed. I was very scared, <laughs> filled with fear, and yes. I felt okay. You know, here's the real pressure now because now is the, you know is the test. We have to make something. We can't just make something just beautiful. It has to work as a product. It has to work for people. The sizing, um, the, 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 yeah, the, the sizing, the grading. And even now with, with producing, you know, a design to, to go to a store, there's so many considerations that go in just, you know, tiny, tiny, tiny things that you have to think of with every every single garment. So you have to really put a lot of time and effort into making something and perfecting it. Um, which I'm still doing, but yeah, every stage, all the sizing, all the kind of, you know, the ergonomics of wearing clothes, yeah. people yeah. need to be able to move comfortably, sit down, say hi to a friend, smoke a cigarette, whatever, yeah. you oh. know, and <laughs> sometimes you think, oh gosh, what, what was I thinking when I designed that? Because now I can't <laughs> even raise my arm or... So, yeah, it's actually kind of refreshing to hear what you're saying right now, because for you that, you know, you your background is architecture first and then art um, and then designing clothes. Um, you, you are maybe one of the very few designers who are actually telling me that uh, clothes have to be designed for people to wear them, to sit down, to eat, to smoke, to go out, to put a jacket on, because sometimes, you know, what happens between a drawing on a paper and the actual making of the dress on someone is like a big ocean and some designer can get lost in it without knowing. Maybe you, because maybe you are a, a woman designer because maybe you see yourself in them. Absolutely. And I think, um, you know, I, I make clothes that I, I like to think that women love and would, would want to wear. And I'm in my 30s and my whole studio team a female, I collaborate with really amazing women. When we work on um, developing the collection and putting the clothes together, after we've done the show, we really test, we try everything on during the, the making of the clothes anyway, but when we're looking at production fittings, we're really testing in the sense of, you know, can you wave to a friend? Can you sit down comfortably? Can you eat your lunch in this? Or on what occasion are you going to wear this? You're going to wear this out to dinner. Okay, so can you sit down and eat a meal in it comfortably? And do you feel bloated? How are you going to feel when you're wearing it after? Because you just, you know, or are you partying There are also those it? problems, yes. Yeah, because this is real. Like, you know, if somebody's going to spend a lot of money on a piece, they want to be able to cherish the piece or wear it for the occasion that it's for, but enjoy, feel good in it. And especially because we do we work with a lot of sheer fabrics and kind of slim fits that's really really important so i've had lots of great feedback that the clothes are really comfortable which for me you know i had one of the one of my friends who bought a piece and there were these like 
it was a specific piece, it was trousers, they look very kind of slim and quite revealing. But she was like, oh my gosh, it's like wearing tracksuit bottoms. And I felt so happy because I was like, that takes a it's lot working. of work. Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. And, you know, to wear something sexy that feels like a tracksuit is just my dream. That's my dream okay, well, <laughs> wardrobe. Uh, <laughs> Rush, for you, was a bit different. I mean, how did you structure your, your, your company in order to make jewellery? Um, was it all based in, in England? Uh, where did you source all the material? Um, all, again, just before March 2020, before the, the lockdown started? Yeah, so I mean, we are based in London and like Supriya, I sort of started on my own. It was 2014, had a year of very, very slow um, working as an au pair, working in an e-commerce, juggling everything, just to kind of everything I made, just plow back into um, into Alighieri. And we, um, I started by doing a, you know, a one day wax carving course in Hatton Garden, which is the kind of jewellery, historic jewellery hub in London. And was pointed in the direction of a, a family-run Cypriot business who were the, a long-standing, the oldest casters in Hatton Garden. And I kind of stumbled in there and George and Leo, who, who owned the company, um, were really, really kind to me. And after, you know, going in there week upon week with all of my little waxes and creating things that maybe weren't so traditional in the jewelry industry because they weren't perfect and they looked a bit broken. Um, <laughs> I remember I made a little crustacean and out of wax that I wanted to turn into a ring. And George, one of the casters said, oh, I needs to go to hospital. It's only got six legs. It's got two legs missing. And I was like, no, I kind of like it like that. I want it to feel like it's been through something. Um, but, you know, over time they became like my family and they, were an amazing source of knowledge and they just took me under their wing and taught me so I really kind of learnt by doing um, lots of mistakes along the way and I have so much respect for Supriya with you know ready to wear I mean I don't think I could navigate ready to wear to be quite honest so much um, technical so much so many technicalities that that go into it. Um, I suppose in jewellery there must be also technicality. I mean, for fashion, when we just mentioned, you know, if you if you design a pair of trousers or a jacket, you want to make it feel that it fits and then you can move. For jewellery, you want to wear a piece of, you know, a necklace or some earrings that last, you know, they don't lose yeah. their shine or they lose their things. Yeah. How, how do you do your research, for example, on that? Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And that's kind of always been my absolute main concern. And when I started Alighieri, it was, also because, you know, I was looking for jewellery myself that I could afford, but that would last a long time. And there were, you know, I would save up to to buy, you know, a ring from a really big fashion house and where jewellery wasn't their speciality. And it was a beautiful piece, but it didn't necessarily wear that well for a length of time. And that's when I started thinking, you know, when you buy a piece of jewellery, it is it should feel like something really special because it's a way of communicating. It's, you know, something you hand down through generations and you forge new friendships through it. You build marriages through jewellery. It's such a symbol. And so for me, the quality had to always come first. So that's why I once I met the casters in Hatton Garden, I never wanted to go anywhere else. Um, it was definitely more expensive to manufacture here. Um, but it was never, I never for a minute um, considered doing it anywhere else because I would have rathered, you know, a lower margin for myself and a more long lasting product that could really kind of stay with the consumer. And that's still kind of at the heart of, 
of our narrative. It's kind of the story and the quality that needs to be everything so that it can, you know, travel with you because it becomes so sentimental as well. You know, once something's on your skin, on your body, um, you don't, it becomes almost like a part of you. So it needs to be able to, to wear with time. And then, you know, year three, year four, we started to grow very, very quickly. Um, and that's the point at which I realized that I needed more people, um, more help. And so we, I had two amazing, amazing people on production and press in the beginning. And we've just sort of been catching up ever since. And it's been, we've been really lucky in that the growth has been really organic. So the main challenge has been never losing sight of the quality of the product and the narrative and the stories behind each piece, no matter how big we grow. Um, and that was, I guess, one of the main challenges in March because we'd had our best ever year prior to that and it was all there. Um, we had all this amazing momentum, which was fantastic. And then, you know, just like that, it was studios are closed, you got to go home. And we're thinking, how are we going to ship our e-commerce orders? So I was, you know, in the studio that night till 1am packing all the stock shipped all the stock back to my apartment and went back to packing all the orders kind of myself again um which was kind of amazing in some ways it lasted for about four months and then we started to split the stock between the rest of the amazing team who were all kind of packing from home but the team have just worked so so hard this year to just to get through yeah i know it's been it's been a challenge but um the both of you actually during this uh, very difficult times i mean between march and now um i'm actually so happy to talk to you both because as i said at the beginning you've got two very similar stories um you've taken very two very important roles in terms of the responsibility towards community and people um uh, supriya um uh, in you know yourself with uh, um you know um you know, talking about you know the girl rising, uh, you know this charity that you uh, that you promoted, and uh, um, yourself, uh, Roche, with the Trust of Trust. Um, I would love both of you actually to talk to me about um, why this choice of uh, um, opening up your your small brands towards community and actually helping what was out there. Um, uh, Supriya, what what was what was the things that pushed you to to get more involved in that? Um, I think, uh, I, I, I mean, speaking for myself and probably Roche will feel the same in this respect, that we are such a minority in, in our industry, as in there are none that's us. So, you know, that's it. Um, I kind of feel, well, at the moment, but, you know, I feel as though my work focuses so much on women and I, that's really, really important to me. So when we started working on this project, which I um, we went out to India last this time, exactly this time last year with Jamie Hawksworth, who um, was shooting my campaign. When we were there, he really wanted to kind of capture a lot more documentary and imagery, which we really which we were obviously very excited about. We wanted to, you know, it was such an inspiring place that we wanted to actually turn this into something really amazing as a project. And before we'd gone, we had been speaking with Girl Rising, who are a charity that um, globally, who kind of promote education um, for young girls um, to help empower them basically, because it is so key. And I think that just in general, you know, that really resonated with me. I've been, I've been going to India my whole life. Um, 
you know, I understand the value of, you know, a good education. I understand the value of opportunity that comes through that. And I think that everybody should have a chance at that, um, you know, because I think that, you know, it's just really, it is really important. And speaking with Girl Rising, they're so amazing what they do, you know, and obviously through unexpectedly COVID hit and that has had a huge impact on them as well because lots you know, I was speaking with one of the women from Girl Rising India and she was saying that you know due to the fact that um, there has been this crisis that lots of families have been pulling their daughters out of school um, and looking to get them married um, earlier and so there was a lot of this kind of stress and obviously with Girl Rising I really you know, trying to like champion education and programs. So we think it's really important that we can, you know, help and align that way. Um, I just think it's just been a natural thing, really. I, I hadn't really ever gone, you know, when I started my brand, I, I wasn't like, OK, I'm going to really be this representative or have these kind of you know it's just, they're just ideal values I've always held and I I just think as a person I want to be able to use the platform that I have to be able to 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 do something um, that I think, I think has value yeah I think it's also wonderful that you know so you went to India with Jamie Oxford you wanted to shoot your campaign and then uh, did you make you you made a book right called uh, yeah. Narmada? Narmada, yeah, yeah. So basically, um, we went to a city called Jabalpur, where my father's uh, family are from. Unfortunately, uh, my father passed away when I was twenty, so he actually never got to see this whole part of my life. So I wanted to go go to India and, and do a project there with Jamie because we'd already done one in Ipswich previously. So we went there, and my that river is a holy river, so um, it runs through Jabalpur. My father's ashes are scattered in that river, and my grandfather's. So, we thought it's an it's an incredible spot. Like I've and just you know the personal story aside, it's an incredible. It's like an, an amazing spiritual magical place. So when we went there, we were very much like, okay, this is where we're going to shoot. While we were there, you know, we were all the way over in India, so we were very much like, let's do something more. Let's let's do this why not so you know there's plenty there's amazing portraits of lots of different girls from different schools in the city and um, people around and about the river it's really a, a kind of capturing a snapshot of that place which is my kind of half of my home um and it's really telling that story which i think is is really beautiful as rosh was saying keeping the story and the values of your brand because that's who you are as a person that's that's what's really important to me and not losing sight of that so to be able to do a project like this which isn't a fashion project but it's a it's a beautiful kind of artistic photography project just really felt right and it just felt like a nice thing to do so jamie shot shot uh, pictures and then so the, the book armada it's um um it's all the you know all the revenues go straight to girl rising can can anyone buy it yes you can buy it from my website so that's the only place where you can purchase it which is uh, supriyalele.com and 100% of the proceeds go to girl rising india yeah that's wonderful well well done well Thank done you. um uh, um rosh instead you um you also in a, in a different way uh, already in march 2020 uh, you decided to donate 20% of uh, um your sales to uh, the trussell trust 
um, that uh, it's a trust that is a charity that supports the UK food banks. Um, and uh, how did that happen? I mean, uh, did you have any link with them, or did you? Where did you? Where did? Where did you read? About it? Um, so actually, what happened was right before lockdown sort of started. Um, Sarah Moa actually um, made me aware of the Trussell Trust through an Instagram post, and I started talking to her about it and. I was I felt so grateful that she kind of brought it to my knowledge because I had no idea that even before lockdown had started people had stopped donating food um at the end of their supermarket shop you know there are those boxes where you can you can donate to to food banks and food banks rely so heavily on those donations and even before lockdown happened obviously people start had started to stockpile food and they'd stopped donating at all and all of a sudden, you know, overnight, these food banks had lost such a big part of um, of their resources. And it was just, it was really scary. And, you know, at that time, I, was, I guess I was feeling a lot of um, guilt in some ways, if I'm honest, about the fact that, you know, the whole world was going through this really difficult time and I was making jewellery and it didn't feel right in some ways. And um. You know, our sales were, were doing really well, actually, as a cause of lockdown, because people were at home, our e-com was, was booming. And um, it just became, it was very instinctive to just say, you know, we need to contribute something. So we started talking to the Trussell Trust. And the more we learned that, you know, it was so many different types of families who were relying on food banks um, to feed their families, to feed their children, especially as schools were closing. Um, it just really naturally felt like the right thing to do and obviously I had no idea you know what would what would come of it um we managed to raise I think it was about £60,000 for them which um you know it's a real kind of testament to our community of customers who really care about people and that's something that I really kind of pride myself on with Alighieri is that I don't want to just sell a product I want to build a community through these pieces and so many customers, you know, wrote to us and said, you know, I was thinking of buying this necklace for a long time, but knowing that, you know, 20% of it is going to be going to this cause, it made me want, it made me, you know, made me do it. And realising the really rich community of people that we have supporting us, it felt like this kind of circular dialogue of everyone helping each other. And it just really felt like a really natural right thing to do. Um, and then you know six i think after after that that time we i had started reading a lot more about um the rise of domestic abuse um and that really felt quite harrowing to think that you know the statistic of one in three women in their lifetimes will experience domestic abuse in the uk but um as part of the 50-year anniversary of Refuge, we actually filmed with um, Olivia Singer from Vogue, who was really kind enough to um, work with us and the head of logistics and operations at Refuge. And we filmed a series of, um, of questions that we are sort of sharing on Instagram um, over the next few weeks and have been over the last few weeks, just sort of explaining a bit more about the different forms that domestic abuse can take and how prevalent it can be actually even in especially 16 to 24 year olds. Um, and dispelling the myth that it's only certain kind of certain demographics that are affected by this because everyone can be, can be affected by it and I think you're right Jan Lucas that like, kind of giving women 
the strength to know that they have somewhere to turn in that situation. That's absolutely. Anyway, I have so much uh, respect for both of you, actually, for being such young designers, young brands, and to um, challenge, actually, this uh, the world out there um, with your involvement in the community and people. That is amazing. But going on a different topic now, um, again, both of you have managed to uh, translate your passion, you know, for fashion, Supriya, and your jewelry um, in a very short time. Uh, uh, in, in a successful businesses, let's say. Um, both of you also using responsibly sourced material. I know the Supriya um, used uh, um, uh, dead stock fabrics for your next spring summer collection 2021. Um, and I know you um, also, Roche, used um, some uh, old bronze or other materials to, you know, to recycle it. Um, how important do you think today is the ethical approach um, uh, and, and local manufacturing in a creative world why today is more important than it was in the past um Supriya. i just think you know values are so important i think that the world we live in is is incredibly important we need to take care of it we need to take care of each other we need to take care of ourselves and those are really important things um as i said earlier you know we're a really small team so for us we try to work as sustainably as possible, you know, from the way we operate within the studio, small decisions, everyday decisions to, as I said, yeah, recycling old fabrics that we have in the studio using working with dead stock, working with transparent suppliers so that we know that the, the materials that we're getting are, are you know, are, are legitimately clear. Um, we, we work with like two or three factories in, here in London so we know that they're really nice, that everybody's really well looked after. That's why my clothes are more expensive because they're made in factories that pay people properly. You know, it's small things like this. I think that are really keen. I think it's, you know, it's not really something I shout about because I just think it should just be the way, you know, because that's just it. Like, I think that everybody should be trying to do that. I think it's important to use you know, fabric and material, I think as I started to grow a little bit, I, I saw how quickly, you know, for example, I now have to order minimum quantities of fabrics. You know, I might have to order 200 meters for production, whereas before I used to work with like 50. So now I'm thinking, OK, I have two, I have X amount left over. We have to put this back in and we're going to reuse it and we're going to think and problem solve. And that's what we do. But those have been some of the small kind of things you have to adjust with, I guess, as you grow. So I can't, in terms of imagining on a much larger scale, I think that, you know, having having really good people who can help make kind of sustainable choices, you know, really along the whole way, um, I think that would be the way that I would like to see it go forward. You know, how I could grow it sustainably, um, I think is really, really important, yeah. And I love reusing fabrics. I do it all the time. Oh, good. Well, I'm so happy <laughs> that you said, actually, you're doing this without shouting out because mm -hmm. what has happened in the past, as I say now, um, there were a lot of brands <laughs> were actually using the um, the ethical approach as very much like to, as an extra, um, you know, an extra Marketing. tool. Mm. I shouldn't say these things, but yes. Can Rosh, what, what, what about you? Yeah, I think that everything you've said is so interesting and so true. Um, so for us, similarly, um, we have a walkable supply chain, which is amazing. It's all in Hatton Garden. And I know my suppliers, they feel like my family. And 
um, supporting them and with our growth, they grow as well. They get to hire more people. They have more opportunities for the people who work there. Um, and the um, materials that we use are all recycled. It's recycled bronze and silver. So it's a very kind of organic process and trying to go a few steps backwards. I remember, you know, living in Zambia and we used to get our milk from, you know, the person around the corner and, you know, you know everyone, you know where your things are coming from. And it also means that, you know, when you're having a hard day, you pick up the phone and your friend is there to help you. And I can't tell you how many times that happens kind of with our customers as well. They become our friends. And I think it's about that respect for the people around you and the things that you have, respecting them, treasuring them. And in terms of Alighieri, what's in the pipeline? I mean, what are we going to expect to see in the next few months, in the next... <laughs> oh my gosh, I... Um, you can tell I us. I really <laughs> want to have physical spaces to bring people together again. We did a sort of mini Italian town in August in London. We recreated a little Italian city. Um, with a little restaurant called Casa Luna. Um, and it was just so magical to bring people together in that short time um, of three weeks. And that's what I want to do. I want to have spaces that make people feel happy and bring people together. And for, for you, Supriya, what are we going to see? Well, um, I think I'm going to be working towards a new collection, which I'd love to show in February. How I'm going to show that, we are working on it. Um, I think I'm trying to be spontaneous and just feel, feel what's right. I, I mean, yes, I miss having physical kind of um, events or contacts. Um, but I think that, you know, let's see, I would love to do an event later, uh, you know, in the new year, um, potentially. But so far, it will be focusing just on a new body of work. Um, I feel creative. I feel like I'd like to put something new out there now um so yeah that's that's basically it um tbc, TBC. okay well you know we can you know just looking forward to it because i'm always excited about new things um no i think we're gonna go towards the end of the this podcast has been really interesting i had so many other questions but i think we're running out of time <laughs> well, we wish you both of you uh good luck and uh, um, um you know for the next year it's going to be a challenging year but i think more exciting than this one Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Thank you so much. Fashion Forum is a co-production between the British Fashion Council and In Talks With Productions. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe, leave a review and share it with your friends. If you'd like to find out more and join the conversation on social media, then head to londonfashionweek.co.uk or at London Fashion Week. 